Welcome to Miyagi Mornings Weekly Recap, a podcast version of our daily video series, Miyagi Mornings. Links to the video version of each segment can be found in the show notes for this episode. These recap episodes are part of the Survival Podcast feed, but are numbered independently as a special weekly edition of our show in all podcast feeds. How's revenge? Daniel San, you look revenge that way. Start by digging to grave. Walk right side, safe. Walk left side, safe. Walk middle, sooner or later, get the squish just like grape. Hi folks, Jack Spierko here. For those of you watching the video feed, I am indoors today, not due to anything with the weather. It is gorgeous out there. The issue is time sensitivity. I have got a ton of stuff to do this week and a ton of stuff to do today because I'm getting ready for my presentation at the Greater Reset Wednesday evening. So I have literally no spare time this week, not that I generally have an abundance of it. But I figured at the beginning of this episode, I would remind you the Greater Reset, if you're watching the video the day this was published, starts this evening. If you're listening to it on the weekly recap on Saturday or Sunday, well, it's already over, but you can catch all of the stuff that was done with The Greater Reset uh, on the Conscious Resistance channels, which I'll make sure once it's all over to make sure my people know about. But it would be great if you tuned in live. And I, me, myself, and I will be presenting Wednesday evening on protein production in your backyard using small livestock and aquaculture. And we're doing this because we really believe that the Great Reset coming from the economic, the World Economic Forum can only be resisted through people working together and learning how to do business and commerce with each other, learning how to produce their own food, learning how to build a strong community. In other words, we can only do this through education and a conscious resistance, which is a great name for the organization behind it, a conscious resistance through community-level action. If you try to resist this with typical politics, you might as well try to stop a millstone while giant Clydesdales are spinning it around and you're down in the mill. You're going to get rubbed out. So be part of the Greater Reset beginning this evening. There will be a link where you can learn more about that in the video notes below. Today I want to talk to you, though, about one component that we're very interested in teaching people at the Greater Reset and that is cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency allows you to do business with other people with no third-party intermediary, other words, no bank. No bank, and like people say, well, what if I use cash? Well, then you're using the United States Department of Treasury if you're using the U.S. dollar. Right? Just see a third-party intermediary there. Cryptocurrency allows people to, to have trust in technology and therefore use an accounting ledger. That's the best way to think about it, to exchange value for value with nobody else involved. Isn't that great? However, I've got a lot of people interested in cryptocurrency because you can make money by buying and holding cryptocurrency, and you can. It's worked out really well for me and many other people. Uh, people like me were telling you to do this back in like 2012, 2014. 2014 is when I really got on the train with, hey, you really should – put some money into this, and of course we were all told that we believed in tulip mania and other bullshit, and you know, we're talking about like a decade now, and people are still waiting for it to die, and it's not happening. However, it is volatile. It goes up and down, up and down, up and down, especially the big dog of the, of the pack, Bitcoin. It can do this, and then this, and then this, and then this, and for those on the audio only, I'm, my hand's making up and down waving motions, right? So how do we take that seeming disadvantage and turn it into our advantage, how do we turn a problem into a solution? What a lot of people advocate when it comes to investing in cryptocurrency, specifically something like Bitcoin or pick a few coins and, and average between them, um, is the old technique of dollar cost averaging in the stock market. This is good and bad. It can be a fool's errand. And, and the reason it can be a fool's errand is the way that investment advisors sell you on this concept when it comes to the stocks and mutual funds or whatever is just invest every month. You know, if you have $100 a month to invest, just, just give it to me and I'll make sure it goes allocated into your funds. Or your 401k or whatever, your money just rolls in. Every contribution, it rolls in and it divides up against the allocation that you have. However, if you were to look at the stocks that you're investing in or the individual funds that you're investing in with that model, you would see that during the month they have quite a bit of fluctuation up and down. Now, there's what's called the fool's chase. The fool's chase is trying to exactly time tops and exactly time bottoms. That almost never works. What we want to do is determine tops and bottoms, pull back a little from both, and use those to do what I call 
because this is this term's used in trading a lot of other ways, and specifically using options. And I'm not talking about options today, but collaring, which means we're trading on both sides. And so the way that I buy Bitcoin, and because I conduct an online business and I receive payments in cryptocurrency, and I'm involved with things like library and other platforms where I've tipped in cryptocurrency, etc., I have money that comes in monthly, weekly, daily, that's in the form of cryptocurrency that may or may not be in Bitcoin. Generally, not always, but generally that money goes to an account that I have on an exchange, and it becomes my trading money, even though I don't really consider what I do trading. It's really a form of buying. It's, a, it's like dollar cost averaging on steroids. But this is what I've been doing for years, and it's worked out very well. And I've never really lost, right, ever. Because if you're patient with something that's this volatile, it usually comes around one way or another. It doesn't mean that I've always exactly hit the tops and bottoms, but that's why we build a buffer in there. So it works like this. So I'll get a given amount of, of, of money onto my exchange account, let's say 800 bucks, And that'll be divided up amongst money that came in in the form of Bitcoin, because Bitcoin is still my primary reserve, and I've talked about why before. And then some of it will be in other altcoins. If I am buying an alt at that point, this strategy will alter slightly. I'll let you figure it out. Maybe I'll come back and talk about it another episode. I can't. I just want to talk about just Bitcoin today to keep this simple. So let's say that I get in a cryptocurrency like LBC coin, which is library tokens, uh, which I'm tipped in. So I get a significant amount of those weekly from you guys who watch my videos over on Odyssey instead of here on Screw YouTube. So I'll take those, and when they come in, if, if library is sitting at like four cents, I'll just let it sit there. But I get it off library. The part that I want to take to myself every week, I get it off. I unlock it and I move it over. So it's ready to trade quickly. So I don't have to wait for it to get onto the exchange. So it's sitting there. Right now, I've, and I don't want you to take investment advice on this, but I've kind of decided that when, when LBC coin is in the 11 to 12 cent range, it's a good time to cash out on it. So when it hits that range, or right away, I'll go ahead and put in what's called a limit order. And that's the key to everything I'm talking about today. I'll say, sell LBC when it's at 11.5 cents and trade it to USD Tether, USD Tether, right, the US dollar coin. Um, and it'll sit there in Tether. Well, once it's in Tether, then I'll look at Bitcoin. And I'll say, what do I see as kind of the low point for the next few weeks? Where do I think the bottom is going to be? And if I thought the bottom was, let's say, $31,000, which was a recent prediction, I might set my buy at $31,500. And I might watch Bitcoin come down within 15 to 10 bucks of that number several times and start to lose my patience. But let the system do the work. And eventually, when it falls through there, that buy order will trigger. This is versus a market buy where you just pay what it's selling for now. And it'll buy that Bitcoin... And now I have Bitcoin. At the other side of that, this money is not my major holdings in cryptocurrency. This is monthly income converted into buying and trading uh, cryptocurrency for a time. I will also say I think kind of up here is the top for Bitcoin in the next few weeks. And I'll put in all the Bitcoin that came in or all that's been converted to Bitcoin during this cycle up for sale with a limit order, and if I think the top is, let's say, 41.5, don't use these numbers. I'm just giving you examples. 41.5, maybe I'll be at like 39.9. That's where I want you to sell. That's where I want the exchange to sell, also back to USDT. So let's say that we've in this, in this hypothetical cycle, we hit the low point, and that, and that, that, that sold my US, to USDT tether, and now I'm sitting on tether down here, All right. I'm sorry. All right. Too much going on. That's why I'm trying to keep this one. I've, I've, I've gone ahead and I've sold my library tokens to Tether, which is the stable coin, the dollar coin. I now have a buy-in for Bitcoin at that low price. If it hits, I'll take that and I'll move it to the sell side and sell it with the rest of the Bitcoin at that high point. If that triggers and sells... I'll, I'll execute the whole process over again. I'll determine a new bottom in the short term, and I'll put in here to buy it back. Now, this is not large amounts of money. This is going to range between $500 and $1,500. Bucks. It doesn't make a huge difference in how much money you made in that two- or three-week cycle. But what it does is it just 
It just makes the amount of the underlying currency, you can do this with anything, not just Bitcoin. It just makes the underlying amount of the currency that you're able to eventually acquire a little bit higher. But if you do it over and over and over and over again, and when you have a currency with a lot of volatility in it, like Bitcoin, there's almost always within a few week cycle a fairly easy to predict kind of top line, bottom line. And again, when we pull in from those a little bit, And what is the worst thing that could happen? Well, the worst thing that could happen is Bitcoin falls way through my bottom price. So what? I'm still better off than if I just bought, just switched everything to Bitcoin when it was at its highest point. Or Bitcoin runs through its high point after I've sold. So what? We're talking about a few hundred to a th couple thousand bucks. I can still, I can wait for it to come back down. I can go ahead and accept that I have defeat, you know, and buy a little higher or whatever. But eventually, in each of these cycles, what happens is if I can pair that twice back and forth and then cash into Bitcoin or whatever currency I'm buying in this cycle, then it comes off the exchange. And then the whole cycle starts over. New money comes in. Now, for you, that might be money that you're depositing from U.S. dollars, or that might be money that you're, the best case scenario is you're receiving cryptocurrency from actions that you're taking. So you're either selling something or you're doing something where people are paying you in crypto. That is the best way to do this. That's what I do. I'm not taking any money out of my bank account to do this. And every time that cycle completes and that money moves off the exchange, it doesn't come back. On rare instances, there may be a time where I find a new altcoin that I'm really excited about. I want to own some. I may take some money from that reserve and use it to buy. But in general, I'm running a couple flips like that I'm just putting a little bit more Bitcoin or a little bit more R, a little bit whatever it is away, and then off it goes and then the cycle repeats. This is a very safe way to do things, and if you think about it, so what that means is at any given time, 99% of my holdings are off exchange, they're in private storage, they are disconnected from any ability of anybody to hack or anything like that, but they're also in a place where it takes effort for me to spend it or trade it to help me with my own personal discipline. Because the biggest problem you'll find if you try to start getting into cryptocurrency is personal discipline. Is being willing to say, look, yeah, I know I set that price there. There's a reason I set that price there. I know that it came down and it almost touched it like five times and I'm tempted to raise it a little bit. Then you come off your, off your system, you come off your gain. And the longer you do this, the better you'll get at it. The better you'll get at it. One of my recent low-end buys was when Bitcoin was in the mid-30s, and it was at 31.5. And it ran way up, right? And I had posted this publicly, that that was the, that was the collar on my, on my low side of the buy. It took a couple weeks, came right back down, and boom, it triggered right about there. Now, it did fall through down to like 29, but I didn't need the bottom. I just needed lower. And then, when we had that opportunity, we moved it over, and we moved it out. This is the, the way to think about this. This is like all the videos that you'll listen to by crypto experts. They never talk about simplistic shit like this. They always talk about like these complex trading strategies. And I'll tell you something about complex trading strategies. If you get really good at them, you can make a lot of money with them. Most people do not have time to sit there all day long, every day trading cryptocurrency. And it doesn't make sense for most people to do that. All we're talking about here is a little small modification to dollar cost averaging so that we're not inadvertently paying the highest price we possibly can for a security, a stock, a cryptocurrency, anything in the month of, let's say, January. And we're probably not going to pay the lowest price, but we're going to pay a lower price, and we're going to sell at a higher price than we would have otherwise. That's it. And it's not that hard. And if you just have pattern recognition and take a look at the pricing over a month, a week, a day, of a crypto. It's not that hard to figure out. It really isn't. You will be wrong sometimes. And when you start, you'll be wrong more often than you're right. That's why we need to sequester a given amount of money to do this with. And like I said, what is the worst thing that happens? The worst thing is that we, we sell and we don't get a, a very short-term buyback opportunity. Or we buy and it falls through that floor, but we would have already paid more for it. You see how that works? It's not complicated. It's actually really easy, and I'm going to tell you just one last thing about this. All of your so-called financial advisors that don't do this with your money, with all your stock market, your 401k, your IRA, all that shit, they should all lose their freaking license. 
because this is basic common sense investing 101, and anybody without enough acumen to do this on a regular basis with regular contributions from their clients has no business being a financial advisor. That's another video altogether. When it comes to crypto, guys, yes, dollar cost average, but, you know, add this little factor in there. Be smart about it. Don't be paying $50,000 for Bitcoin when a week later you can pay $35,000 for Bitcoin. That's all I'm saying. Take care. Hey, folks, Jack Spirico here with uh, Miyagi Mornings, episode 41 today. And today we're going to do another uh, episode about cryptocurrency. I usually don't do back-to-back cryptocurrency episodes, and I tend to try not to do two cryptocurrency episodes in the same week to create variety. But some of the follow-up I got on yesterday's episode and some of the FUD that's being sent to me about how Bitcoin is going to die because of Tether, um, I have to do this. I have to kind of do some follow-up on this, and I need to cut off, at least in my audience, this 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 freaking FUD storm about Tether. If you're not familiar with Tether, you're probably better off, except I did mention it yesterday. So Tether is a U.S. dollar coin. It is designed to maintain a ratio of one Tether to one dollar, and it'll fluctuate generally between about 98 cents and a dollar and one cents on most days. A little bit here and there. But overall, it basically maintains a $1 per one coin rate. It's designed to do that. The the thing that happened yesterday is, first of all, I talked about trading small amounts of cryptocurrency. Basically, some money comes in every month. I use that. I collar it with trades on sell and buy until I make a little bit of money off it. Then I move it off the exchange. Well, I had to have some people like, not your keys, not your coins. Okay, fine. Great. How the hell are you going to conduct exchange without an exchange? Now, there are some ways that we can do that. The polarity exchange is one way to do that, and they use Tether as their reserve. So actually, they are my keys and they are my coins when I'm using polarity and other DEX exchanges, but that's not the subject of today's show. Let's say you're using an exchange like Binance or Bittrex or Coinex, and you're, you're holding the money while you're trading it. For God's sakes, folks, wake up. Uh, the other thing was, Tether's going to collapse. Someday everything might collapse. Who knows? Um, there's been some scary stuff around with Tether. But once it got linked to, like, if Tether fails, Bitcoin is doomed. It's like, okay, to be blunt, will you stop fucking listening to people that have no fucking idea about anything to do with cryptocurrency and their opinions about fucking cryptocurrency? Because they do not know what the fuck they're talking about. Owning a medium blog page does not make you a fucking expert about the fucking square root of fuck all. Is that clear enough? All right, so let's now back up and be kind, grandfatherly Jack, and explain what Tether is, what it isn't, how it works, what it does, and what it doesn't, okay? And why people use it. So the assertion being made by the FUD, which is fear, uncertainty, and doubt, if you've been hiding under a rock for the past 25 years, The FUD around cryptocurrency is, or or, Tether is this. If Tether dies, Bitcoin dies with it. I invite you to look up the term Bitcoin obituaries in your favorite search engine and read all the times Bitcoin died over the last freaking, like, 11, 12 years. It's hysterical to read. It's funny as shit. Okay, so first of all, there's a a, a massive track record of these types of fear-based predictions being proven wrong, and the people that sent them to me when I was saying in 2014 to buy Bitcoin, and they didn't, today are saying, hmm, maybe I should have listened to Jack, instead of these astards who are just looking for a reason to say no. Okay? Um, But Bitcoin came out about 2011, and Tether, you could not touch Tether, you could not buy Tether on an exchange until 2015, and it didn't get on most of the exchanges until 2016. So how did Bitcoin survive in all that time period without Tether? By being Bitcoin. Okay. So what is the purpose of Tether? The assertion made by these FUD assholes is it's how people onboard to Bitcoin. Without Tether, you can't get Bitcoin. It's impossible. This is the dumbest fucking thing that any of these dumb fucks have ever fucking said. There's a lot of fucks in this episode. There's a reason. I'm tired of this stupid fucking shit, okay? And sometimes you have to be blunt to make people understand how tired you are of shit and how clear you are being about the situation. So this assertion is that Joe decides, I'm going to do all the bullshit necessary to get my fiat currency into cryptocurrency. And I'm going to give them my ID and link a bank account and all that shit so that they know who I am. And then, and I want Bitcoin. 
But instead of just buying Bitcoin, which I can do for fiat at that point, I'm going to buy Tether and then trade it into Bitcoin. And even if it tells you that is too fucking stupid to be worth the freaking oxygen, the tree outside your door is making for them. They have, they have no business giving you any opinion about anything. No one would do such a thing. So what's the actual purpose of Tether and other stable coins, by the way? Let's not pretend like Tether is, oh, it is the only thing that can do this. The only purpose of these damn things originally was when tax guidance wasn't really freaking clear, and it looked like you could do what we would call a like-for-like -like exchange. In other words, I haven't actually realized the game because I've traded a crypto to another crypto. That was the original, like, loophole they were trying to go through. Well, the IRS finally came out with guidance around the same time, coincidentally, saying, well, if you go from crypto to crypto, you've realized your gain. It's a trade, and therefore you have to report your profit or your loss. However, once it was there, it became really easy for exchanges to use and set up an exchange board where Tether was a base currency, like Bitcoin and Ethereum had become. And so instead of going into fiat, it made it really easy to go into Tether because the reason you use Tether or TrueUSD or any of the other like dozen stable coins is simply in between trades to park your money in a place where it's stable. That's what it's used for. It's used for trading. It is not used for onboarding. And again, anybody that says it's used for onboarding is so damn stupid, you shouldn't take their advice on how to get down the street that they live on. That's how dumb they are. It is for holding currency intra-trade. That is how it is used. That is what it's used for. So what happens if Tether goes and blows up because do you know the tether's fractional reserve yeah so are your US dollars so are your euros you dumbasses these people are like, well you're much safer in the bank using that because tether's fractional reserve like your bank is it's tied to the banking system yeah I'm not thrilled with that it's an instrument that we use during intra-trades and that way we limit our risk exposure to it but let's say it goes and blows up okay fine So, CoinX, Binance, Bitrix, whatever, they switch over their reserve board for stable coins to true USD or DAI or whatever. Like, there'll never be another stable coin ever again. Now, the long term worry for traders, not, not straight up investors, the long term worry for traders is that the, not traitors, traders, like trading, right? The long-term worry is that if you destroy the ability to have a stable coin, you make trading more difficult for high-frequency traders that do this like day trading. Because it's really quick, easy, and cheap to move from you know, crypto to crypto versus crypto to fiat and fiat back to crypto. So instead of having, and this also enables kind of a loophole like the original intention for all the no KYC exchanges. Yeah, you need to buy crypto with fiat if you don't have any and nobody will pay you in it. And that you need a KYC exchange for, especially as an American citizen. Okay, But once you got your crypto, you can get on a lot of different exchanges, DEX exchanges, even more conventional exchanges. CoinEx would be a great example of one. I'll put a link where you can sign up for CoinEx down there if you want to. So you get on CoinEx and you use, uh, I don't know, some sort of uh, service that doesn't require your identity to have a phone number to receive your text messages for your confirmations, and you use, like, you know, an online email not directly associated with you, you have a no-KYC system set up, or you go to uh, Polarity and you don't even use a phone number, you use an email, which can be any email you create, and you use uh, two-factor authentication, which is not directly associated with you. So now you have that. So now... When you have a stable coin on an exchange like that, once you have your crypto in and out and in and out and all you want to do, and they don't really know, right? They don't like that. I understand that. But my assertion is through technology, we will probably always have some sort of stable crypto to utilize for that, and the exchanges will just use whatever's best at the time. The reason they use Tether mostly right now is it works best for the application. If it ceases to work best for the application, they'll stop using it. And this whole shit about, I'd never hold Tether. No one holds Tether, dummy. Tether's not for holding. Spelled right or wrong, it's not what it's for. It's for intra-trade 
holding, not long-term holding. It's for, hey, you know what? I think Bitcoin is at a ridiculous all-time high. And I think even if it doesn't go way back down, it's going to pull back. So I'm going to move my money into Tether. I'm going to put in a buy order, just like I talked about yesterday for Bitcoin, at, you know, if it if I think that's the case at 40 grand, maybe I put in my buy order at like 33.5. And I just catch that little extra in the trade. And there's people that do that at high frequency with lots of money day in, day out. And there's people like me that take a little bit of money every month and play it back and forth a little bit before we move it off into our cold storage. And there's everything in between. But that's what it's for. And if Bitcoin can survive freaking Silk Road being taken down, if Bitcoin can survive the Mt. Gox hacks and all the other supposed things that were going to kill Bitcoin... Tether is a mouse fart in the Bitcoin universe. It is not necessary. And any exchange that begins to feel that Tether is a true risk to them can switch to another stable coin tomorrow morning. It's not even that hard. They probably have to give a little bit of lead time for it to say, hey, we're going to do this, and in the interim we're going to have two boards, and you need to trade your Tether into this, otherwise it's going to be kind of just sitting there and you're going to have to you're going to have to do something else with it take it off our exchange or do something else with it cuz we're we're going to a new reserve currency for our stable coin but it's not hard so when somebody sends you a medium blog post like they sent me like 80 of y'all sent it to me say this is very disturbing you don't even know what you're reading you're looking for a reason to be afraid and remember what I've always said about cryptocurrency. If you're putting money into it you can't afford to lose, you're a dummy. Don't do that. If you wouldn't spend it on a steak dinner and not worry about it a week from now, or if you wouldn't put it on a craps table in Vegas, don't put it into an investment. Put it into a coffee can under your bed where it won't grow. Or trust your financial advisor. Most of those guys I call financial liars. By the way, there are some good ones out there. You might even be able to find one somewhere in the TSP community, but I can't really comment on that. Anyway, guys, with that, it's been Jack Spierko with another episode of Miyagi Mornings. Do not give in to FUD. It is designed and used for specific reasons, and there is a lot of people out there that want failure from cryptocurrency, and they'll spread any rumor they can. And there's another group of people. There's a whole shitload of people. A little bonus add-in for you at the end, you assholes out there that do this shit. There are people out there that when Bitcoin went parabolic, they sold their Bitcoin at around twenty-five dollars to $27,000. There was a shitload of large institutional holders that did that. One of the largest holders of Bitcoin in the world sold his Bitcoin very publicly, 50% of it, at twenty-five dollars and he said, it's not because I don't believe it anymore. I, I, if you look it up, you'll find this is exact quote or very close. I just think at this point it must be treated like any other investment. And I am selling it now at a high point so that when it comes back down, I can buy more of it. You think some of those people might be having a little bit of seller's regret right now? You think some of those people or people that might gain from a short-term drop in Bitcoin, I don't know, like the founder and CEO of Coinbase might occasionally leak FUD just to F with the price to create their own buying opportunities or try to resurrect their bad trades in the past? They just might. I mean, people stab people in the back for like 18 bucks on the street. What do you think large traders who made a bad trade might use their influence to do? It's a long game, folks. Don't buy into the FUD. Take care. I'll be back tomorrow. Hey, folks. Jack Spierko here. And uh, the subject I'm going to talk about today is not a direct response to the question that came up. Uh, again, I did a post on MeWe last week, and I've been bumping it to the top of my feed so people can keep participating in it so I can find the damn thing because MeWe doesn't have permalinks. And if you, if you use a hashtag when you do that and you bookmark the hashtag, it redirects to your main, it's just, come on me, we get your shit together. Anyway, um, Ariel of Feed North or Nith, or I don't know how you ever say her site, but I love what she does, said in one of her homesteading groups, a young man made a post and maybe I can answer it. And if I answer it directly, I'm going to go full jack and not in a good way. Um, basically this guy said, you know, uh, I'm living with my grandparents, problem one. Uh, they're not very financially successful or good with money. Oh, I got to pull back right there. I want to go full jack, okay? 
And then he said, I want help with how to live with almost nothing and do that infinitely for survival needs. And anybody can help me, please help me. Well, the first thing I want to say is get a fucking job. Okay, and stop blaming your, your grandparents' failure with economics for your economic woes. Maybe you need to grow the hell up and figure out how to live on your own. And I, I can keep going, and you can see where it's going to go, can't you? And I bet a bunch of you, when you hear that, you feel that way too. But that's not what I want to talk about today. If you look at the title of the video, you'll see that what I want to talk about today is what it means when you listen to the proverb that says, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. So I basically responded with that to Ariel, and she said, it's not that I disagree. I'm just wondering, you know, can we help people? Like, there's lots of them, and or that they beyond their help. In my view, as a teacher, that person is not ready for my help yet. They've not come far enough to where they're at a level where my teaching will be beneficial to them. Now, maybe hearing me say that might put them on the path to that. I don't know. It's up to Ariel whether she wants to share this with this individual or not. But there's a reason that that cliche or that proverb or whatever you want to call it, that saying has truth to it. Good teachers recognize when students are not ready for their teaching and therefore they don't try. I've been told by some good friends of mine that I'm a natural teacher at heart. Some of them say, I don't even know how you do it. And they say, I've seen you working with someone, and I would have walked away. And you're like, you hit them in the head with it, you hit them in the head with it, you hear them in the head with it, and you watch. And one of my friends in particular who's fascinated by the dynamics of how human beings' minds work says, and I'll see it sometimes, and all of a sudden, boom, I'll see their eyes light up, and I'm like, oh, it went in. And they're like, he's like, I guess you won. Right? Guess he won, and he means me. Right? I won as the teacher because I got the person to understand. And I, I said to him, David, no, I, I didn't win. They won. But the only reason I would take that time is that person was coming to me with the sincere heart of a student, attempting to understand something. It could be anything from how a bell siphon works to how a business principle works. When that person has, in, in, in the old Buddhist analogy, emptied their cup, so they don't think they already know everything except one thing, and then they're coming to you for that one thing, then you can help them. And that doesn't mean that the things that they've learned, the things they know, the things that are true in those realms are not useful to a student in their learning. If you go to a martial arts instructor, and let's say that you, and it doesn't matter the discipline, but let's just say that you took Taekwondo, and you actually advanced fairly, you know, a red belt, one under black, And so you've done Taekwondo, you've learned Taekwondo, which I'm not a big fan of the art, so don't go bashing it to me or whatever. It's just an example. So you've done that. And then that you go to someone that teaches like um, American-style karate, like the modern American karate that kind of was developed in the 70s. Or you go take Wing Chun, or you go take Tai Chi, or you go, just fill in the blank, switch them around. It doesn't matter, right? The, the knowledge you have of form, of balance, etc., is useful and it will make you an accelerated student if you'll leave it behind when you go to that new sensei and say, teach me. You have to enter that individual's dojo like a white belt, like, like you've never learned anything before and you have to start from his basics, that, that sensei's basics. Now what's going to happen is you're going to really, if you do that, He's going to love you as a student because you're going to advance very, very quickly. And sometimes he may have to correct you and say, I know you already know this, but let's, right? And then in time, you'll take the two that you've learned, you'll combine them yourself, and you'll make them more, like Bruce Lee. Okay, That's not just about martial arts. That's about everything in life. But what is the first step? Emptying the cup. Emptying the cup. But what is the second step? Teacher says, student does. Okay, Now, this is why I can't help a person in the state this young man is in. I want you to help me be useless. I want you to help me live on my grandparents' land, blame them for my problems, not get a job, not have any income, and get by with almost nothing. When that is precisely what the person is already doing. The only threat to his existence he has right now is when his grandparents die. 
He can probably do exactly what he's asking for indefinitely. And what do I as a teacher want to do for him? Teachers do not keep you where you are if they're teachers. That's what rulers do. That's what rulers do. Rulers keep you where you are and teach you to be happy with it. Because rulers love caste systems of any kind. Caste, class, call it what you want. It's all the same shit. And you need poor. If you're a ruler, you need poor people, you need middle class, you need rich, you need all of it. And those divisions between the classes are leveraged and used by rulers. We call that the state today. It used to be the nobility, the kings. It doesn't matter. It's the same shit over and over again. And they need that. Teachers, by their very nature, are leaders. Leaders lead. And that means leaders go somewhere. And if a leader's leading, what happens when the leader moves forward? The people he's leading, or in the case of a teacher, an actual teacher, and just because you have the name teacher in your job title does not make you a fucking teacher, by the way. Okay? Really. If you're actually a teacher, you're a leader. And when you move, your students follow you. So I can't teach a person that wants to stay where they are. Can't do it. Not possible. The teacher will appear when the student's ready, and the student will be ready when the student is ready to follow. Help me stay where I am and develop contentment in my own misery. Okay, no. That student is not worthy of a teacher at my level or one 20 levels below it. Or 20 levels above it. And that's the thing. Like, So you have a person in a state of mind where someone's as good as I am and call me mediocre in the middle of 5 out of 10. Can't help them. And a 10 out of 10 can't help them. And a 1 out of 10 can't help them. They're saying, help me. The cup is full of bullshit. Sometimes the cup is full of perceived knowledge, of arrogance, of things like that. Again, back to that Buddhist metaphor where the young man goes to the master and says, I want to learn, and the, and, the, and the master hands the student a cup, and he begins pouring the water in the cup until the water overflows. The student says, what are you doing? What are you doing? He goes, you are like this cup. You are too full. Come back when you are empty, and I can help you. Sometimes it's full of puffery. Sometimes it's full of false knowledge. Sometimes it's full of many things that are actually something. But sometimes it's full of apathy. Sometimes it's full of baggage. Sometimes it's full of the drug we call Icantium. And either way, if it's full, the teacher cannot put anything into your cup until you empty it. So until you stop making excuses for where you are in life, no one can lead you away from that point. And I, I say this for a couple reasons. One, for people in that state to understand it. Two, for everybody, because we all get in that state at least temporarily at times, even me. And three, for my fellow leaders and teachers. When you recognize this behavior, walk away. Because two things will happen. The person will stay where they are. And they were going to do that anyway if you tried. In fact, your attempt to meet them at that level would actually mire them and anchor them in it. Or when you walk away, they're going to say, wait a minute. And they're going to follow. Because the teacher that drives these people to a level where some teacher can appear put out their hand and help them and start to fill their cup with knowledge versus false beliefs or arrogance or puffery is life. And that individual must be allowed to be kicked in the head by life. If you read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is mostly fiction, by the way, just for anybody that, needs, that feels the need to put that in the video or the comments here, I know that, but it teaches great truths. There's a point where young Robert from his rich dad says to him, you were letting life push me around. And Rich Dad says, yes, I was. That's what you have to do as a teacher for people at that level. You have to let life kick them around until they're tired of it, and they come to you with the empty cup, at least half empty. Hope you guys enjoyed this one, and taking it on this angle is the only way not to go full Jack Rant today. Uh, please apply this in your teaching and in your activity of being a student your activity of being a leader, and your activity of being a follower. It's the best advice I can give on the subject. Take care, and I will be back tomorrow with another episode. Hello, guys and gals. Welcome to Miyagi Mornings, episode 44. If I've got my head screwed on right, I'm not sure that I do, but I think I do. What are we going to talk about today? 
investing. But don't worry, it won't be about cryptocurrency. It's about the stock market. And as the title may have indicated, we're going to talk about the, uh, the GameStop and AMC fiasco going on and uh, the exchanges and eventually the government protecting the hedge funds. We're going to talk about the, uh, the apparent win for the people that isn't. And I'm even going to draw a parallel to, believe it or not, the capital riots, which I, I, I hate using that term because that's not what riots look like. Um, not that there wasn't some really wrong things done there, but that's, that's not a riot. If you want a riot, turn, just go back and look at footage from what, you know, all the cities across the United States looked like this last summer. And that's what riots look like. Or go look at Trump's inauguration day in D.C. and you'll see what riots look like. But this isn't political. This is just factual, which really is hard for some people to grasp. And it's also going to require the fighting of emotion. So if, if, if you haven't seen what's going on yet, what's happened is, uh, Social media, specifically Reddit, has, has, has created this community of users who have decided we're going to stick it to the man, specifically the hedge funds. And without getting too technical with you today, let me just explain to you that hedge funds make money by taking short positions on stock. And don't think of short in duration. What they're actually doing, without explaining it, because it will just hurt people's brains that, that, that are going to have a hard time understanding it, they make money when stocks go down. They take positions that allow them to profit from the misery of others. And then they use their huge influence and billions of dollars to push public relations campaigns. Simply the fact that they've taken that short position is bad news for that stock, and the stock self-fulfills its prophecy. And they're already betting on a stock that's already failing. It's not like they go out and do this to really successful companies. They do this to companies that are in harm's way already. In this case, when you look at something like GameStop, they're a retail outlet in the middle of a COVID pandemic. This is part of what hurt them so bad. Or AMC. Think about how that works. Those are people going to how many movie theaters are, are dark right now. So they were good picks to short, but people are like, I'm tired of the rich winning. So they all got together on Reddit. I think Elon Musk had something to do with this too, by the way. Yeah, go ahead and trust him. Sure, okay, yeah. He's like Iron Man. All right, simpletons. Anyway, um... They just started buying GameStop. And it went from like four bucks to like $300. This is a company on the verge of bankruptcy, and their stock went up from like four, eight bucks to $300. Now, this hurts the people taking the short position, at least on paper, at least up front, at least you think it does. Keep that in mind as we go on further. Because when you take a short position and the stock goes up, you lose. And there's a lot of leveraged money in this game. They're not actually putting up all the money. They're using something called options, which, again, I don't want to get into today. Because um, as I've tried to explain this to people in real life, I've watched their brain go into cognitive agony. It's one of those things like fractional reserve. It's, it's so simple that it repels the mind. But just understand, down is good, up is bad. And going from four to 300 is really bad. So, like TD Ameritrade, Robinhood, etc., all these places that like consumer-level people uh, invest have said, whoa, 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 this is not me, this is bad. It's really bad. People can get hurt. We don't want them to get hurt. No! We have to protect the hedge funds. So they've halted trading on these stocks. Now, here's the thing. The excuse, people are going to get hurt, is true. And I know what you're thinking, man, these are just a bunch of people took like 300 bucks that are $600 stimulus and decided I'm going to stick it to the man and I don't give a shit if I lose it. That's how it starts. That's how it starts. This is going to end badly. And they're going to win bigger than ever. They're going to get help doing it. People are going to shriek and scream when it happens and say, I didn't understand what I was doing. Yeah, we know that. And the government's going to come in to help and they're going to use it. Here's where it comes in, just like the Capitol Hill riots, for a whole shitload of new legislation that screws you over and screws over the people they're claiming to protect, which is you, but they have a perfect excuse to do it. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. And people are going to shriek, but they rigged the game. <laughs> the game was all, the, the astronaut is getting shot in the head by the other astronaut. It always was rigged. You're just seeing it now. And that's the good that can come from this. Let's talk about the good before I tell you the bad. The good that can come from this is maybe a whole shitload of you guys wake up out there and realize how rigged the game is and therefore figure out other ways to play your own game. And we're not going to get into that because in my mind, one of those other ways is cryptocurrency, and I don't want to do another cryptocurrency episode this week. 
So the good that comes from it is a wake-up call. That not only is the game rigged, not only do they profit off both ups and downs over and over again, but when they get in trouble, the Congress, who took almost a year to give you $600, will break their necks overnight to save the hedge funds that they claim to hate who fund their campaigns. That's the wake-up call. And I know many of you are like, well, I knew that shit. Yeah, but most people don't. And most of these people on Reddit, most of those people doing this, they're leftists, right? They're corporate leftists. They're not in the corporate world, but they, they believe in the corporate leftist politician. They think that really it's evil Republicans that have been doing this. No, it's both sides, folks. And they're about to get a hard-ass lesson because their side's in charge, and they're about to have their side shove a giant dildo up their ass and find out it's got burrs on it. No lube, nothing. Straight up. That's what's coming. You're going to get nailed. And this is the other side of it. Do you think all those evil hedge fund managers are just, oh, shit, we don't know what to do now. No, 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 no. See, this is what no one's going to tell you. Everybody's going to tell you how wrong it is that they halted trading and some way you can figure out how to still buy the stock. This is, it's too late to buy this stock. And I'll get to why in a second. I'm going to tell you the truth about what's going on. These hedge funds know that they have their, their six covered by the government and by the trading platforms because they own both of them. And they're, they're ratcheting up their short positions and they're going to hit this thing all the way down. You think you've gotten one over on them and what you've done is taking the target that was hidden in the weeds, you've put it way up in the air hovering. Where not only can they shoot it and knock it down, they can shoot it like, like a trick shooter, like a can spitting, where it's like, pew, 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 all the way down. All the way down. And this is what's more dangerous. Now people believe in this system. So we've halted trading here. You know what we're going to do next? We're going to pick another one and do it again. And now, instead of these retail investors throwing in 300 bucks, maybe I should... You know, use my 401k and, or my IRA money or uh, maybe the kids' college fund. Because look what happened last time. If it only if it only goes up half as much as it last time, I'll, I'll be a millionaire. <laughs> But you already played that game. Let me tell you what's going on, folks. People involved in this and the people that are about to jump in the pool are acting on emotion, not logic. And that is always what good investors play on. Your emotion against their logic and you always lose because they're more patient And they're more experienced. So all these people think what they did is they all went swimming when shark fins were going around. And the sharks were a whole bunch of little black tip sharks that tend not to bite you anyway. About three footers. Ones that when they get too close, you kind of poke them and they just kind of swim away. And they put their little shark suit on that gives them comfort. Spray themselves down with shark repellent. And occasionally a shark comes up and nibbles on an arm and it doesn't really hurt. kind of tickles and you just kind of pet the little shark and he goes away. Just out over the breakers, there's these big ass fins going back and forth. Those are tiger sharks, basking sharks, great white sharks. And they know that you're sitting there in that little gut between the sandbars, and that sandbar right here, that's your, your temporary fix. It's a little bit too shallow. They can't quite get across it. They know the tide's coming in. And they're just waiting. And they're just waiting because the swing will come as random as the tide, or as I should say not as random, as predictable as the tide. When the tide comes in and you're now all comfortable and the water comes up just over that second sandbar, in come the big boys. And it will be a bloodbath. And yeah, the person only threw $300 in, but now it's $10,000. And in their head, what started out is a righteous investment, right? I don't care if I lose. It's only $300 and the government gave it to me. That's what's being said. And to some extent, it's true. But many of these people have never seen their name next to $10,000 in their life. And now all of a sudden they're thinking, well, it's going to moon, man. Same thing that happened with people stupidly getting into cryptocurrency. It's going to be worth $20. I'm not selling yet. But the smart ones start to sell. And then all of a sudden, the ability to sell goes away. Because if you turn off the buy button, you've effectively turned off the sell button. And now you have to sit there while the sharks come. And then the fall begins to happen. And because they're institutional investors and they invest in a totally different way than you do, you have to sit there while you watch your buddy get his ass eaten. 
but, but, but we're going to go to another stock. And now they know your game. Now they know exactly when to line up on the sandbar and come get you. And they're going to skin you alive. And then, dun, 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 the government is here to help you. And a whole new rash of protective regulations will be put in place that do nothing to curtail corporations, hedge funds, investment funds, Investment banking, because they write all the rules, will be put in place that further restrict your liberty and freedom economically. Yay, you! You did it! Now, I want to be clear. I love the concept. I love the concept. I think it's a great idea. I love seeing this game exposed for what it is. But I also know, I also know the way emotion works, and I know how professional investors work, and what we do is we figure out where emotion is leading a pack. Okay, We position ourselves in front of your emotion, and when your emotion comes, long because people think, well, they want the top. No, 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 no. No. We can make 5% of our money in a day. We're out at when the sun goes down. We're done. 5% in a day? You want to annualize that? And there's times when you know the emotion is overrun, so you might make 100% a day or a week on a little piece of money for you, and you're out. And then people are like, oh, you should have stayed in. It's way up here. We're already over here, ahead of your next emotional play. And the people I'm talking about are way better at it than we are because they can actually cause the emotion. You've now created your own emotional surge. And they know exactly how it works. And it will work the same way over and over again, but the time frame will become shorter and shorter and shorter as the money that people have to do this with runs out and people catch on to, hey, boy, you can grab onto this thing and exit really, really quick and make a little bit of money. But most people that grab onto it won't exit quick. They won't make a little bit of money. They'll lose everything. And they'll find out something about investing that makes it a little harder than they think it is. When thy money is tied up over here, and this opportunity exists over here, you can't get it out to go get into this opportunity. So many people doing this have never traded a stock in their life. Maybe they've put 10% or 5% or 3% or whatever of their money into mutual funds through an IRA or 401k, but they've never actually done this before. And they have no idea what they're getting into. And by the way, the people leading the charge... The people that got it all together and organized for you, yeah, they know what they're doing, too. They know what they're doing, too. They're the ones that came in early, said, hey, we should do this thing, and they've leveraged options and things like that, and they've exited, and they made their money, and they're watching all this, and they're thinking, where can we send them next? Maybe Dogecoin. Huh? Yeah. You know, they use that to tip on Reddit, don't you? I just found out they used to tip it on, they used that to tip on Pornhub. There's 128 billion Dogecoins out there, but we're going to push it to a dollar. That's the next thing. Yeah, and it might work. And I'm not saying what I'm done or anything, but you might take a couple hundred bucks and might buy it for a penny and a half and put in a sell order instantly at four or five cents. And if it happens, it does. And if it doesn't, you don't really care. You know, but if you can make $250, $500 on that emotional play, that's what you're going to do. And that's what they're going to do on a much bigger level. This will end badly. I know a lot of you are outraged that they won't let you buy it now. I understand where you're coming from, but I know what comes next. Hopefully now you do too. Take care, guys. I'll be back tomorrow with another one. Hey, guys and gals. Jack Spierko here with the final episode of Miyagi Mornings for the week. And we talked a lot about economics and cryptocurrency and stuff like that this week. So uh, I don't want to. I don't want to talk about anything like that. I don't want to keep my commitment to you guys. Um, to bring you a lot of variety in this show. There was just a lot going on in that world this week. Um, today, I went on our Telegram group and said, hey, throw some ideas at me, and I'll pick one of the first three for an episode today. And so if you want to have some more direct feedback and interaction with me, and by the way, I was sharing crypto trades in real time yesterday in our Telegram group. Maybe you should uh, we should get on Telegram uh, with us. Anyway, one of the suggestions was, what business to start right now? Not how or why, but an idea for ideas for business. I'm not going to do ideas. Ideas are multi, and then that makes a little short video into a great big long one, which kind of is counter to what we're trying to do here. So, 
What we're going to talk about today is one business idea that's a little bit unconventional. I've talked about it before in different aspects, but I actually think it will be a great way to make some pocket money, some connections, some maybe valued local connections this spring. There are going to be shortages in the food supply this year. There are going to be, I'm going to say it again so you, you get it. There are going to be shortages in the food supply this year. The price of food is going to go up. People are going to panic. I think it will be worse than 2020 when the panic sets in. You will have limits at grocery stores, long lines again, blah, 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 blah. And you're either going to have one of two things happen with the virus. Either restrictions will be let up because yeah, we kind of have to at some point, uh, and that will create the cascade of all the restaurants opening, etc., and a massive demand on a dwindled system, or you keep the restrictions in place or you increase them, which also could happen, and that's going to create more panic buying when people get to the grocery stores as we have limited supply. Either way, we're going to get a supply squeeze. Now, last year, just look at human behavior in the past to know human behavior in the future. It's that simple. Last year when this set in, not, not only did everybody run into the grocery store and buy tons of shit they didn't understand how to use in the first place, like dried beans. You had people with baskets full of dried beans that never made a dried bean, probably went home and put them in a microwave and caused an explosion. I'm sure that happened. But also everybody got into what? I'm going to grow my own food, which I think a lot of people figured out was not as easy as they thought it would be. Maybe some people even broke into the survival seed bank that was like 17 years old and none of the damn seeds germinated because um, they hermetically sealed them and cut them off of oxygen for 17 years. And another thing. But people also got crazy big into raising their own chickens and livestock. Here's the interesting thing about a chicken. You get a little bitty fuzzy chicken, anybody who's done this knows... You have to feed that little sucker for about 22 to 24 weeks before the first butt nugget pops out. Got it? Same thing with ducks, and you can do either one of these for this business model. You should check your market and see what's in more demand, ducks or chickens. You'll probably find for the average homesteader in the suburban rural fringe, the chicken is the first place they go. And while I prefer ducks myself, I think chickens are a great gateway. And they're also easier to hatch at higher rates to fit this business model. So I want you to think about the business model that your average meat farmer takes with a chicken. They get a bunch of these ugly little Cornish crossbirds in, right? And they then put that sucker in a brooder for two to three weeks, depending on the climate. And then they move them out to like a chicken tractor or a paddock shift system. And they raise them up for about 8 to 12 weeks total in the total time that they have to feed them. And then they sell that bird. To sell that bird as a meat bird, it has to be processed. That either means you pay a facility or you do it on farm. I don't know about you, but I've bought pastured birds like that. And they range in cost about $18 to $25, depending on how big they are. Because they usually sell by the pound, like any other meat. Okay. I want you to think about this. Many years ago, before all this pressure was, and everybody was really, really excited and there were shortages in supplies, I used to run chickens. I had about 80 chickens, and I was doing it as an egg business. And we started making a lot more money on the duck eggs than the chicken eggs, so I'm like, chicken's got to go. So I had a bunch of birds that were between 18 and 20 months of age laying now birds, right? Not old hens, hens with a good year or two, of, especially for a backyard. Like, if you're commercial, you don't want a three-year-old bird. If you're residential backyard, suburbanite, small homesteader, birds keep laying till they're five years old. They just lay less, right? And if you have a few birds and a couple old ones and a couple young ones, it all evens out. It's fine. It's good to have some old birds in your flock. So people are willing to buy the older birds, but I had like prime laying age, maybe one more big cycle in them, and I put them up for sale. $25 a piece. If you buy at least X number of hens, I'll give you a rooster for free. I was trying to get rid of my roosters too and rehome. Sold them all. Sold every one of them. It was the best of times. Nobody was panicking to get into this business or whatever. So let's dial that back a little bit. I just went on Craigslist today, and there's a person out selling Cinnamon Queens, which are a pretty good little layer hen. They're selling them for $12 a piece. Looking at the photos, it doesn't state. Looking at the photos, I would say these birds are six weeks old, if that. Now, what if you started hatching out birds 
and sold young pullets, probably on Craigslist or maybe Facebook Marketplace. It's like one of the few good uses. I don't, I don't know if you can sell animals. I don't know what Facebook does anymore. But whatever local advertising stuff you can do, and you control the numbers so that you don't end up going you know, negative on this, and you raise these birds to about 14 weeks, and you advertise this, and we'll start laying within one to two months which is valid because you're not going to sell them all the day you put them up for sale. Some of them are going to get older before they're bought. You sell those birds to people at 20 bucks or 25 or 18 or 16 or whatever your market will bear. You sell them as known gender and and already re- and they're already out of the brooder. The people that get into chickens the first time, they don't necessarily know how to raise little chickens in a box. It's a good skill to learn, but a lot of them like You mean I can just buy a chicken that's almost ready to lay or laying? And the older it gets, the more the price goes up. Now, when you compare this, would you rather sell a chicken that you raised for 14 weeks, had to feed for 14 weeks, for 20 bucks, or a chicken that you raised for 10 weeks, had to process, do all that extra work with, for 20 bucks? I know which one I'd rather sell. And while you're doing this, so you might think, well, how do I get into this little uh, side business here? I think if you go buy chicks and do this, you're going to lose your ass. That, 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 that base cost of the chick, and those are going to go up this year, by the way. I'm going to tell you that right now. However, there are ways to do this. If you have a tractor supply or something like that near you, you'll often find that they put those guys, their chick days run about a month, and that'll be in March. And they have those little round tubs, uh, like the stock tanks, the metal ones, and they put them in there. And they're about two foot high. Yeah, at about one and a half weeks of age, those little suckers start to get feathers on them. Chickens grow really fast. And they start flying the hell out of there. And a lot of times, if there's a manager in there that uh, has some authority, and usually there is, and you can usually find them pretty easy, they'll say, like, I'll sell them all for 50 cents a piece. you got to take them all, though. Might as well be free at that price. And they've raised them for a week, week and a half, two weeks for you. That's one way. Another way is there's a whole lot of people going broke selling chicken eggs. Get your ass on Craigslist, find all the local people selling chicken eggs, phone them up and say, what kind of birds do you have? Do you have roosters? Are your eggs fertile? When you find the combination of answers you like with that, I would like to buy X number of eggs from you. I don't want them washed and I don't want them refrigerated. Can you do that? Trust me, they will say yes most of the time. You say, I need them all collected within 10 days of each other, and I need to know when to pick them up. They will stay at room temperature, viable, and hash out about all the same time, as long as you get them all and keep them at room temperature, not cold, not hot, for about a 10-day period. They'll hatch within a day of each other. And you go get your happy-ass little incubator, Better quality incubator would make sense. I'll put an incubator I'm trialing right now that I think is going to be a great incubator in the show notes. I'll put another incubator I've used called Incuview in the past. And you can hatch those birds out and raise them. Now all you have is feed costs. Here's my last thing. As As a duck farmer that eats the produce and sells the produce of my ducks, which are primarily butt nuggets, eggs, I have a niche market in that I do not feed soy to my birds. I do not feed GMOs to my birds. And I'm not ever going to. If I'm raising these little chickens for 10 weeks, 12 weeks, 14 weeks, before they ever lay an egg, and my entire purpose in raising them is to sell them, I'm going to feed them the cheapest feed that they'll eat that's healthy enough to get them to grow. Because... I know they're going to leave my my grounds. And I know when they leave my grounds, they're going to eat whatever that person cares enough to feed them. There's no purpose in me feeding $22 a bag premium feed like I feed to my flock when I could be feeding $9 a bag feed for now, by the way. Some little tips coming here in a minute. Um, There's no sense in it. If the person's just going to go home and feed them Purina, it doesn't make any sense. And if that person's going to move them over, and I'm going to definitely recommend the feed that I use to them. And if they move them over to that, once they start laying, it doesn't matter what they ate when they were young. They're going to be fine. I know some people are real purists about that. No, it won't matter. It won't matter if I feed it and they switch the, to the negative. 
And in the long duration, it's not going to matter if I feed them cheap stuff and they switch to the premium. They're going to get the product they produce anyway. So why am I going to up my costs in that situation, especially when this is a money-making endeavor that we're involved in? Now, I know what you're thinking. What about the roosters, Jack, when you do that? I'm going to eat them. And as soon as I can identify them as roosters, I'm going to separate them. I'm going to tractor them. I'm going to feed them a premium feed. I'm going to pasture raise them. And yeah, they're going to be a little bit small as a meat bird, but I'm going to put them in my freezer. Or, when people are buying, I'm going to say, I got these roosters over here. If you'd like one, they're X dollars. And anything that I think is worth less, right, than what that bird's worth to me in meat, I'll say no to. Depending on how big it is, how old it is, how much more I got to feed it. Now I'm producing meat. I'm producing birds for sale. I'm making more money on my labor than I would if I was selling meat. I'm doing it with basic chickens. I've got a lot of options in how I produce them. I got a lot of options in how I source them. And it's just the one little thing. And let's run some numbers real quick before we wrap up here into how much gross revenue we could be talking about. Let's say you get $25 a bird. I don't think that's going to be hard this spring. Anything that's close to laying, $25 a bird is going to be easy to get unless you live in a place where everybody already has them. Because that, that changes everything, right? And you probably forgot another animal to do this with then. So $25 a piece, and let's say that we, uh, we do $50, right? 50 of them. What's that? 500 twice is a thousand. $1,250, right? It's probably right. Could be wrong. Say $1,250. Let's say you have $200, $300 worth of feed in that. Say $300. Say, say you have $250 worth of feed in that. You have $1,000 cash between you, person that paid you, and the fence post in your pocket. What will that do for you on your homestead? How will that let you expand other businesses? Now, I would caution you. You're probably going to have to produce close to 100 birds to get that. Because you're going to get a bunch of roosters. But you're going to eat them. No, you're not going to get those big, plump breasts that you would get off of Cornish Cross. But you're going to get chicken. And some of those roosters will sell, and some of them won't. And the beauty is, you can harvest them as you need to. Now, that doesn't mean run out and do this. You need to run your own numbers, source your own birds, Make sure this makes sense to you. You're going to have to recover the cost of that incubator, $150 to $200 for a good incubator. I don't believe in those little styrofoam hover baiters. Screw that shit. They're not accurate. I won't use them. They work, but digital is the way of the future. This is 2021, and it's worth the investment, in my opinion. They do work. I hatched snakes, believe it or not, for years with them. And you can fiddle with them and get them just right. Man, automatic turner, digital incubator, set and forget. It knows what you're doing. This is for ducks. This is for chickens, et cetera. It knows when to stop turning. And all. It's just humidity control. It's easier. So there's some cost in this. But you end the year with money in your pocket. Now you have an incubator. You have meat in the free. You see what I'm saying? Now, I'm also saying not necessarily go do this one. There might be something else. Use this model to figure out what works for you. And if you in the comments, folks, tell me, well, you can't do that here, I'm just going to assume that you didn't understand a word I said. <laughs> All right, with that, hope you had a great week. Let's go ahead and wrap things up. I'll be back next week with another episode of Miyagi Mornings. And remember, the Miyagi Mornings podcast recap and audio only will be out sometime on Saturday morning. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Miyagi Morning Recap. Remember, I do Miyagi Mornings to create short and shareable content for your friends and family who may not be up to listening to an entire podcast. Each of these segments from today's show is only five to eight minutes long and can be shared as both YouTube or Odyssey videos. Links to the video files for each segment are in today's show notes. If you want to submit a question for Miyagi Mornings, just email jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com with Miyagi Mornings in the subject line. All subjects other than politics are welcome for this special series.